Welcome to Novel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're discussing Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery. And Chelsea, this is a book you very much love. It is, Sarah. And I was a little, so I've I've read it and reread it frequently in my adult life. But for reading it for the podcast and kind of reading it with a different lens, I was a little concerned about reading it again and then maybe not liking it as much, but I still loved it. Oh, good. (laughs) That is always a risk factor with this type of podcast where we are bringing our critical analysis skills, our literary lenses, our public reader eyes to classics and to books that maybe have meant a lot to us for many years as this one has for you. Yeah. Um, We'll get into that in a minute. But just to give a really quick summary of Anne of Green Gables, because we know many of our readers have have read it, but not everyone. Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery is about an orphan named Anne Shirley, and she is very specific. It is Anne with an E. (laughs) And she has been through a lot in her little life. And Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert... They live on Prince Edward Island. They have a farm and it's been in their family for a very long time and they're getting older. And so they decide, hey, maybe it would be a good idea if we adopt a boy and he comes to live at the farm with us and we take care of him. And in in exchange for, you know, giving him food and shelter, he'll work on the farm and help Matthew with all of the farm work. One of their neighbors down the road did the same and it worked great for them. So they, um, send someone to go and pick out a boy for them. And then Matthew goes to pick up that boy from the train station. Uh, But instead of the boy, there's Anne, this redheaded ragamuffin little girl who never stops talking. She has this big imagination. She's super dramatic. She's incredibly girly. And Matthew and Marilla, who are these very like quiet, very, um, straight-laced people end up agreeing to take care of her and in turn are very much changed for it. And they become a a whole family. Um, And Anne makes friends in the community with adults and with some of the children. She ends up excelling in school. And um, it's really this lovely coming-of-age story It starts when Anne is around, um, maybe she's like 12 or 13, and then it goes all the way up until she's like 18 years old. So we get to follow Anne over many years in this lovely book and also just get to know everyone in Avonlea in this little community. So it's a small town story, a coming of age story, and it's beloved by many, many readers. Yeah. Well, let's get into past experience because I just think that with a book like this, that's the only place to start. Do you want to go first? or Sure. So I remember reading this as a kid and really liking it, but what actually lives in my memory with Anne of Green Gables, nostalgia-wise, is the 1985 uh, BBC version with um, Megan Fellows. 
I remember renting those VHS tapes from the library and being really sad if the next one was out and I had to wait for it and watching them with my best friend. Um, very much our, we had very much like this Anne and Diana friendship. Like one summer we decided we were going to ride our bikes to see each other every single day of summer. And we did. Um, and so I remember watching the, uh, mini series and falling in love with that. And, um, definitely I, I read the books, but I, I really remember loving, loving, Anne and Gilbert and and the series. And then um, I've read Anne of Green Gables a couple of times as an adult since, probably even within the last like six years or so, I've read it a handful of times. So every time I read it, I love it even more, I think. I'm glad you brought up the miniseries because that is my, that was, I think, my introduction to Anne as well. I I don't know if I read this book as a kid. I don't think so. I do. We haven't talked about these yet, but I think about them. I've been thinking about them, I guess, for Huck and now with this one. Did you have those like children's classics, the like hardcover books mm-hmm. of, that were abridged versions of the classics with an illustration on the front? I know I had Huck Finn. I had Anne. I had like Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm and a, a bunch of those. So it's very possible I read like a little abridged version, but it doesn't stick out in my memory as something that I read as a kid. But I had, a, I have very vivid memories of watching these after school at like a babysitter family friends kind of house, like not full babysitter, but some someone's house I would sometimes go to after school. Um, if I didn't want to stay home alone at uh, my house while my parents were working. And and she had the whole series. This woman had the whole series. And she um, she didn't have a, any little girls. She had little boys. And she was psyched oh, to, like, I to watch this whole series <laughs> with me. Um, I think I was in middle school. Um, and I just, I loved them. And I loved watching them with her. It was like a great kind of experience of, getting to to bond with an adult who's not in your family. Um, it was really lovely. And I just, yeah, I, I really, really remember them. And then I don't know why I decided, oh, I should just finally read this. And I did maybe five, six, seven years ago. And now it's in my rotation of like soothing, calm down audiobooks at the end of the evening. Um, but this reread was the first time in a while that I – wasn't just like drifting off. I was paying attention. <laughs> I was like picking back up where I left off instead of, you know, falling asleep and letting it play for an hour <laughs> and picking it up wherever. Um, and I agree. I think I loved it all the more. I'm really curious to dig into that a little bit more, Sarah, because this is not one of the books that I would be like, oh yeah, this is a Sarah book. Because you do not like anything too saccharine sweet. I know. And so, which I think some people can tend to put Anne in that category. And I can see why. Yeah, I would make sure. an argument she doesn't belong there. But I, like, I'm curious to kind of like dig into more of why, why you like it and enjoy reading it as an adult. Yeah. I, I've been thinking about that too. And I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe our discussion will <laughs> help me yeah. figure out why that is. Because I also feel like I could be easily annoyed by Anne and I'm not. I find her t- 
totally charming. Um, and I mean, I think that part of it might be some of the darkness that's alluded to and sometimes directly referenced, but not depicted on the page. I think that is, is a huge part of it. Um, just you, you like want Anne to have the vivacity she does. It's not in any way cloying because she just deserves it, I think is part of it. Um, and I, I think that even though it is sweet, maybe a little saccharine, it doesn't feel moralistic to me. Mm. And I think that is a line that's tough to cross, tough not to cross, <laughs> um, especially in children's literature. So maybe we can unpack that a little bit. But um, yeah, I I don't know. It doesn't fully feel like a Sarah book, but it is. So I, I mean, it's absolutely a Chelsea book, <laughs> even though I too, like, I don't love super syrupy sweet. I would rather have a little bit of sass in there, which I definitely think there is some like sassiness oh, yeah. to, um, to Anne and to the other characters in here. But as I was reading it this time, I was paying closer attention to that and kind of paying closer attention to what makes this a classic, the likes of, you know, Little Women and Huckleberry Finn and some of those other, you know, books that have sort of broken through into the adult classics category. Um, and, you know, I think part of it is, like you said, there's that darkness to Anne's past that is alluded to and that you pick up on even more when you're a grown up. Um, but I also just think it's the cast of characters mm. and the contrast provided for Anne. It's not like every character is like Anne. That would be so obnoxious. <laughs> she's the only one like that. And she sticks out like a sore thumb because of it. But this community really grows to love her. They show annoyance at her. You know, Matthew's really quiet and Marilla is very, like, strict with her. Um, and by the end of the book, you can see how Anne is just, like, changing people. I don't know. There's there's something. It is sweet. But it there's a lot that feels kind of true to life. There's hard stuff that happens at the end of the book, too. And if you continue reading the series, there's... Anne goes through difficult things. Um, but like there's relationship strain in this book. Um, I, yeah. And I, I certainly as a kid, it would feel true to life where like Anne doesn't want to go to school because her hair looks bad <laughs> and just like experiences that feel really dramatic to us reading it now. But if you're a kid, that stuff doesn't really seem that dramatic. I don't think Anne seemed as dramatic to me when I was her age. Yeah, absolutely. I also while you were talking I was thinking that the narrative voice and perspective is just really smartly done in this book. Like we're not it is kind of that we've talked about free indirect discourse that Jane Austen uses where we do it's a third person narrator but we get glimpses into each character's not every character but a lot of the core characters perspectives especially Matthew, Marilla, and Anne. But if the whole book was told in Anne's voice, I think that would be really tough, even though Montgomery does have some of the sparkle that Anne's uh, voice has. It's not 
and narrating. And I think that that works a lot. And I think getting those glimpses of especially how Matthew and Marilla see her, which maybe stood out to me the most on this reading. I loved every single scene where Marilla can't keep it together and has to laugh at Anne. (laughs) I was just thinking that (laughs) because we're not expected to take Anne seriously. And that's like Ella Montgomery saying like, do not take this girl seriously. (laughs) No one is. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I think that I, you know, I can't help compare a little again to Two Little Women. And I just, I love that the book doesn't like beat Anne's vanity out of her. It doesn't like, even though Marilla tells her she's ridiculous for caring about these things, like the book doesn't seem to think she's that ridiculous for, like the book understands like, Life is easier if you are pretty. <laughs> yeah. So let Anne think that and just roll with it. And like, it's, she's never going to not think that. And that's fine. Like she knows what's really important, but she has that side and that's totally fine. She wants the puff sleeves. That's not like immoral or wrong. And I really, I love those elements. And I cry when Matthew is shopping around and trying to find someone who can make Anne a dress with puff sleeves. And he knows that Marilla can't do it because she wouldn't do it right. (laughs) And then he gives the gift to Anne and he's like so proud of himself. And I cry every single time. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so, it's so beautiful. I agree. I love it. I also was realizing and I, I should have realized this by now in at this point in our children's literature semester that as a new mom, I find myself, instead of putting myself into these characters, I put Lou into them. Like I see her and I think that's really added a different emotional resonance to some of my reading. Like I, you know, I, I, like I think I've mentioned on other in other episodes that kids feeling lonely is like so weighty to mm. me right now. And that was just a really kind of interesting experience too, because I, I see, I can see like my younger imaginative self in Anne, but I was reading it sort of like in a multifaceted way this time where I was, you know, reading it with the critical podcast lens, reading it with like the young myself lens and then reading it with like thinking about Lou being in some of these situations. And it's just, it was a really powerful reading experience overall. Okay. I want to say a couple more things about Anne that I love before we move on to talking about some other characters. Okay. I, I love that um, even though she's really flighty, she is super, super smart And I don't just mean book smart, like the scene where she has to go and help Diana's little sister because she has croup and Anne saves her life because Mm -hmm. she has already taken, she's lived a lot of life in her, you know, 13 years or so. Um, She's already taken care of what was it like two or three Three sets sets of twins. twins? (laughs) I love that part where she's like, I tried to tell her (laughs) like, (laughs) that's enough twins or whatever she says. So funny. Yeah. And Um, then after she saves Minnie Mae's life, she's like, I'm so grateful she had all those twins. Right. (laughs) I learned so much. And the doctor is like, this little girl saved her life. And if she wasn't here, 
Minnie wouldn't have made it. Mm-hmm. So there's that level of smart, but also like she is working her butt off to excel in school. It's not like she just goes to school and it's like, oh, Anne's brilliant. She has to work really, really hard at it. And she laments over, is it geometry? Yes. And she's like, oh, Matthew, you just don't understand. Geometry <laughs> is so difficult. It's the bane of my existence. And she's pull, constantly pulling out her books and she's studying so hard. And you kind of get the impression that maybe she doesn't need to study so hard. She's like pushing herself harder than she needs to. I mean, talk about finding something relatable as as an overachiever kid. But like, I like that she has to work really hard for it. I think that's a really admirable quality in Anne. I also love, of course, Anne's resilience. But I love the, again, the, to me, what feels like an absence of real moralizing, like that she needs to be resilient that she needs to get over these things like I love the way she gives into her feelings and then starts fresh it's just it's so so lovely and it just feels so internally driven and maybe maybe I'm landing on something that is um makes this book feel different than other quote-unquote sweet books is that for whatever reason, Anne's character feels so vivid and real and alive that it feels like this is just who Anne is and not saying like this is what other little girls should be like or even feels like an author kind of putting their views onto a character. Like she just feels fully formed and like of course she's behaving this way because that's just who she is. I do wish that I could feel my feelings as well as Anne does, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I do think it's like it's in some ways aspirational and and like a great like model, but it doesn't feel like it's intentionally setting out to be that. And maybe maybe it, it is or maybe other readers experience it that way. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> She's something special. And I, I, I mean, her mistakes are obviously like really funny. Yes. But they are still like big mistakes, <laughs> especially her cooking. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I also think that her like, I, her long held grudge against Gilbert is. Oh my goodness. Like a, a character flaw. Yeah, it is. And, you know, she at times, rec- like there's the, you know, after the, the, boat scene and she tells him to go away and she never wants to be friends. And he like finally kind of gives up, um, that she knows it's a flaw, but she just doubles down. Yeah. Like she, she makes real mistakes for sure. Other than Anne, do you have a character that stands out to you as a favorite or maybe a couple of characters? I, I, I think historically it's been Matthew, but I do want to talk about Marilla this time because I just, I think I had more previously envisioned her more as like very, and she is hardline, but just like very much just like a stick in the mud. And she's, she's not really, she's, she has those tendencies, but I think like Anne describes her as dignified. And I think that's really it is is her her dignity her sense of propriety 
mean a lot to her. And you see the ways that that has maybe held her back a little bit, but also the way that that's really made for a good life for herself and and helped her be successful. And she has, I mean, you, the the narrator tells you from the first moment you meet Marilla that she has a great sense of humor. And the fact that Anne gets to be the one to really unlock that is so delightful. And I love, like we said, every time she laughs at slash with Anne. Okay. Another thing that I love about Marilla that I really picked up on a lot more on this read is how Anne softens her as the book goes on. So it's almost like Anne is pulling Matthew out of his shell, but for Marilla, she's just like softening her heart, but also she's teaching her to think for herself and to speak her mind a little bit more because Anne basically just says what she's thinking. And I love the moments in the book where Marilla is like, Anne, you shouldn't say that. But then she thinks to herself, well, she's pretty much right. (laughs) (laughs) I always thought that the pastor was boring too. Or um, like whatever Anne says, that's just like rude or like, oh, a young lady would never think that. And then Marilla ends up reflecting and is like, well, she has a point. Um, and so it's like this back and forth of, and it, I think through that really just shows how Anne is kind of breaking out of society's expectations for a young girl, for a young lady. Um, and I, I love that back and forth with Marilla where <laughs> Anne Anne is just seeing what everybody else thinks. Yeah, I love that too. There's that one um, scene where Anne is like, does it make me terribly wicked if every time Mrs. Rachel Lynde tells me to do something, I don't want to do it? And Marilla's <laughs> like, I guess if you are, I am too. Because <laughs> I feel the same. And I actually yeah. think that part of it is, I, I think that maybe Marilla and Anne have a lot in common and it's just Marilla has like retreated into herself. And I think that we see that with the story about, is it Gilbert's father who Marilla yeah. courted? And then she got mad at him one day and she wanted to punish him. And so she refused to talk to him. And then, then he didn't, he, you know, things fell apart. And I, I mean, obviously Anne learned a valuable lesson from that. But I also think that's a peak for us as readers to see like, oh, these two, these two women maybe have more in common than we thought. They just grew up in totally different ways. Well, and just like life can beat it out of you, right? It can beat the Anne Shirley out of you, but Anne has not let it. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't. I mean, if you keep reading through the rest of the series, yes, she grows up, she matures. She becomes a little bit more of a quote lady, even as this book goes on. Um, which we can definitely talk a little bit more about. But she still always has that like fire in her, that imagination. Like she hangs on to the the stuff that life can just absolutely beat out of you under tough circumstances. And that's, I mean, that's a huge part of what's so admirable about Anne. But um, I think that that's a big reason why the community really ends up like coming around her and falling in love with her so much, you just can't help it. There's always this magnetic force. Like I, I also love Diana's great aunt 
who oh, comes yeah. and she's like a crank. Everybody thinks she's just a crank at uh-huh. Josephine. And she ends up loving Anne because she's like, at my age, people don't impress me much, but you are funny. <laughs> I also love that she calls her that Anne girl because yeah. I just, I feel like that's such, a, <laughs> uh, that's just something I could hear. Like my grandparents say like that friend of yours, that Anne girl. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Um, Sarah, I'm wondering, we've talked a little, like we've referenced a few of the moments, um, in this book, but do you have like an episode or a foible or an iconic quote from Anne that's just your favorite? Mm. I, well, I do love, we talked about already Matthew giving Anne the dress. Yeah. That's one of my, my favorites. I do love, um, when they're playing, Elaine and Camelot and um Anne is pretending to look dead and float down the river. I just <laughs> I I love that. I think because I liked playing books when I was yeah. little. Like whatever I was reading, I wanted to pretend to be in it all the time and and act it out. I I love that. I love the <laughs> I love when uh Diana gets drunk. Yes. <laughs> Raspberry cordial. Yeah. <laughs> um, those are a few of my my favorites. How about you? This time around, I keep thinking about the moment when Anne returns to school. Mm. So she doesn't go to school for a while because she is just so mad and everything's horrible, right? And Marilla is like, she asks Rachel Lynde, and you know that's when it's bad. She asks her what do I do? You raised all these kids. What, what do you do when they don't want to go to school? And Rachel's like, just let Anne ride it out. So Marilla lets Anne stay home. Um, and Anne's still like reading and studying and stuff, but she doesn't want to go to school. Well, she finally goes back to school and all of the little girls welcome her with gifts And they are so excited for her to be back because she comes up with the best games. And here Anne is thinking, I'm all alone in the world. Nobody wants to be my friend. School is terrible. Um, I don't fit in here. I'm just going to be by myself at Green Gables. And she goes back and she has this whole posse and she has these dear friends and they just love her for being herself. And I got so emotional this time around at that moment in the book. It's such a small moment, but I, it just made me so happy. That is such a sweet scene. And I do love, I, I, while you were talking too, I, I was thinking, I love how every character gets like a redeeming quality or like nobody's just like good or bad. Like I, I love that Marilla got good advice from Rachel Lynn, even though yeah. she's gotten bad advice from her too. Um, I think that's a really, it's just very nuanced for a kid's book. Um, but to your main point, yeah, it is so wonderful to see Anne being embraced and welcomed and like you said, loved for who she is, because I, I think we're going to move from here into talking more about themes. And one, one of the things that I could not help, but think about while reading this was attachment theory, (laughs) because Yeah, because if you are raising a kid right now, you cannot help but like bombarded with attachment theory and just this idea that like, I mean, to very so much simplify, like 
little kids need to be just fully loved on for who they are and know that they can show their negative emotions and and that's going to be okay. Like they're still going to be loved. They're not going to, they can't do anything to push their parents away or their caregivers away, their community. And Anne has lost so many people. Like nothing she's yeah. done has pushed people away. Like that's kind of the the point. But um, but you can see how she would feel that way, like feel this need to, you know, bend to what people expect, what people want from her because she's lost so many people and she's clearly so desperate for a place to belong and a place where people love her. And to see so many people fall in love with her for exactly who she is and she doesn't have to change or accommodate them is just, it's so lovely. That is really sweet. <laughs> I I also, on this time around. I mean, this is of course, this is was the first time that I read the book as a mom. And so every time that there are a couple moments, maybe like two or three in the book where Marilla is all of a sudden realizing how big Anne is getting and how grown up she seems. And all of a sudden she's getting so teary. Yeah. And she has to like <laughs> go sit and let herself cry. And I love when Matthew comes in, he's like, oh, turn around. <laughs> let her be. <laughs> Because she's thinking about Anne as a little girl and she like misses the little girl that Anne is, but she's also proud of the woman she's becoming. And I'm just like, I'm going to tear up now. That hit me way harder than it ever did. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to reread this again. <laughs> I know. But as a kid, I think I was so focused on Anne and Diana's relationship, which totally makes sense. Like friends are, friendship is everything when you're little. And I think especially, I probably read this at like, gosh, I don't know, maybe I was like 11. I feel like it was, it was like preteen years. And those really tight best friendships are so important. And so I feel like all of the friendship themes are probably what I got out of this the most when I was little in reading it. But I I think that I was paying way more attention to the community and just the way that they really like wrap themselves around Anne and were so proud of all of their young people, not just Anne, but like had this pride in all of the kids who were going on to school and studying for exams and just how important all of that is for raising, raising a kid. Okay. I know we talk about Ezra Klein a lot in his episodes. <laughs> But if you haven't listened to his most recent episode about friendship and community, it's I'm only a part way through, but it's fantastic. And I think that, yeah, that that's something that that I really noticed too. And just that I I yeah, I love how everyone kind of rallies around and everyone has their own thing going on. And it it, it just feels very true to life. It's not like a, like a chosen one series or like a, you know, Anne is like this, I mean, she, of course she's special, but I just, we, we get to, to feel like she is both this really special character who we get to fall in love with and follow and part of this really special community who we get to, um, 
get to meet and fall in love with as well. So I loved that as well. All right, Sarah, I have a question that I want to pose and I want to compare Anne a little bit to another coming of age novel that we have read for the podcast. I want to talk a little bit more about the feminism of Anne of Green Gables. Is this book feminist? How is it feminist? How is it maybe not? And how does it compare to something like Jane Eyre, which we posed the same question for and talked a lot about, published 60 years apart, but there are a lot of similarities, I think, between Jane and Anne. Um, Jane has this like horrible upbringing. She's cast aside. She goes not to an orphanage, but to a school that's like essentially an orphanage. And then she gets quote adopted (laughs) by Rochester. Um, but very obviously very different tones, but they are both coming of age stories that follow a character from youth into young womanhood. And I can see how they might have some similar themes, but obviously they're such different characters. So I want to dig into this a little bit and get your thoughts on whether or not Anne of Green Gables is a feminist text. Okay. Well, with the caveat that I haven't continued in the series, I I feel like this book is pretty feminist, but I, I think I mean, we're going to compare to Jane Eyre, which I love. But to compare to Little Women, like I really like the first half of Little Women better than the second half, which is actually its own book called Good Wives. So I'm I might I I might have a different answer seeing Anne continue. I just I don't I obviously don't know. But I think that you alluded to the fact that she becomes more of a lady. Like she mm-hmm. does kind of she doesn't talk as much. And Marilla even says that to her, like, you don't <laughs> you don't talk nearly as much as you you used to. And so I I can see how maybe we could read that as like a not a dampening of her spirit, but of a like proper maturing into society's version of a lady. Um, I could see this is a, a spoiler if you haven't if you haven't finished, so I'll skip ahead to the pairings <laughs> if if you don't want it spoiled. She chooses not to go on to college to stay home with Marilla and help keep the farm, uh, keep up with Green Gables. I could see how you could read those choices as, if not anti-feminist, at least like condoning a more typical femininity. But I just feel like Anne is empowered throughout the entire book. Like when Marilla asks her why she doesn't talk as much, she's like, well, I, I, some of my thoughts I decide I like to keep private now and uh, mm-hmm. they're just for me. And in all of my schooling, I learned that sometimes small words are better than big words and they're more powerful. And the choice to stay with Marilla is entirely her own and she's going to keep up with school in a different way. So I, I just feel, yeah, like that's my answer. She remains empowered throughout the whole thing. And maybe people would say that Jane remains empowered as well, um, because she's the one who, spoiler for Jane Eyre, <laughs> chooses to go back to Rochester and be with him even after everything. But, well, you can go back and listen to our episode 
yeah. <laughs> to, to hear why I don't really think that book's feminist. Well, I like thinking of Anne as empowered. I find the end of this book to be incredibly realistic. So, I mean, it's, it's very sad. I always cry. But having to make a tough choice like that, like that just feels like real life to me. And um, choosing family, I mean, I don't know. It just feels like contemporary feminism would read that in like a very positive way, particularly with Anne making the choice for herself. I also think, and I think I've said this about maybe another book in our uh, children's lit series. I think that so many quote feminist books for young girls that we read in the like late nineties, early two thousands emphasized this like rejection of femininity Mm -hmm. and like a focus on tomboy characters. And I liked a lot of those characters and I liked a lot of those books, but it didn't fit me and who I was as a young girl. And Anne embraces femininity wholeheartedly. Her desire for beauty and puffed sleeves and wanting her hair to look pretty and wanting to be surrounded by pretty things and playing these very girly games, that all felt so true to me. And I like this character who fully embraces all of this femininity and is is proud of all of that and is really strong, stubborn, maybe to a fault, um, fiery. And um, her her femininity doesn't um, like diminish all of that. It's just a part of her character. And I, I really, really like that about Anne. I, I completely agree. I, we have talked about that before. I think maybe on an even earlier episode, maybe we'll have to look back through and see if we can find that. But I think that's so, so insightful and not something I really picked up on in my own reading until you talked about it. But yeah, I feel the same. And I, I think I felt like a need to, there's a sort of like, not like other girls trope in young girls empowering literature from when we grew up. And yeah, I never really fit that either. And I mean, I guess you could read Anne in that way. Sure. Because she is like different. She's special, but she's such a girl's girl. Yeah. She loves other girls. Yeah. She's cheering them on. She loves Diana. She's always talking about how great Diana is and how pretty she is. Now she's so lucky to have such a pretty best friend. (laughs) Like she, (laughs) she feels very like proud of the other women and girls around her. Um, And I think when I was younger, I loved the Anne and Gilbert relationship and focused on that more. But reading it this time, like the book barely even like Gilbert's not very present. No, I I was surprised by that as well. I think maybe the miniseries, of course, because like he's just there. Sure. You can see the you can see the looks, you and can like, see the longing. He's cute. You, so yeah. of course they were gonna put him on screen with mm-hmm. her and like they're adorable together, all of that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I what I do love, <laughs> and I just think this is such good writing, is how every time she's talking about school, she's like, Well, I can't let Gil, the other kids, yes. get ahead of me. <laughs> And she's always time, thinking about yes, him. <laughs> I, I really love 
Love that. But yeah, we didn't really talk about that relationship, yeah. but that's okay. I, it felt very much in the backdrop to me. And I'm not, it's not like other stories where I'm rolling my eyes at, at it ending in that kind of conventional way. I'm happy for for them at the at the end. I mean, we don't really even see much come to fruition except they like make up and and fill each other in on <laughs> the five years where Anne refused to speak to him. Yeah. But I I don't I don't feel like that makes it anti-feminist either. Like sometimes I feel like, oh, you had to throw in a romance or you had to you had to throw yeah. in a tidy ending. And that takes away from the character's individualism and development. And I just, for whatever reason, maybe because by then I'm so bought into this book, <laughs> it doesn't bother me in this one. There is, there's a lot to read here about gender. I mean, Matthew and Marilla set out to get a boy because they know like he can handle physical labor. There's a lot of like gender essentialism wrapped up in the premise of the book, but, and there could be some anti-feminist like feelings of like, well, you know, Anne isn't good enough or she never like meets that standard. But um, I was reading one commentary and it's it's a very long research article. I would not expect anyone to like enjoy reading through this, but um, <laughs> well, <laughs> we can link it anyway. Audience. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what it kind of boils down to is Anne is actually exactly what Matthew and Marilla need. Yes, they could have used the like help on the farm, but what they actually needed in their lives was this like warm and vivacious light in their home. And it's what they needed for their souls. And I think there's something really lovely about that reading. Oh, well, I think maybe that's maybe the perfect place to end, except we haven't asked our question that we have been oh, yeah. asking about every book. What do you think this book has to say about childhood? And I think we touched on this throughout, but if if you were to, to say it in just a couple of succinct themes. I think, especially with the way that Ellen Montgomery writes so beautifully about nature and the changing seasons and how observant Anne is, um, I don't know if this is something about childhood specifically or just more about like the role that children play in the community. I think that this book is saying that children have the capacity to show us the beauty in the world and to like make us feel young again and to experience wonder and joy through their eyes, because I think that's very much what Anne Shirley does for all of the adult characters in this book. I love it. I think for me, it goes back to some of that like attachment stuff. Like I think that this book really shows every every child, but then I, I think this is what Marilla and Matthew needed too. That so that every person needs that that type of love that's not necessarily ever that's not always uncritical maybe you're still like pushing the person to be a better version of themselves to grow and mature but the 
the love is there regardless of the hardest things, the biggest feelings, um, the biggest conflicts. And I think Marilla and Matthew, of course, give that to Anne, but she gives that to them too. And just the, you know, the, the beauty of that and the healing of that is kind of my big, my big takeaway. This book is just such a warm hug. It is. It really is. So speaking of, so I, I thought that I was going to really, really struggle with pairings because, you know, for some books, I really don't mind bringing books, bringing pairings that are more subversive or critical or just don't have that same tone as this, as the classic we're talking about. But for this one, I just felt like I really needed to bring <laughs> to bring warm hugs of books. Yeah. And I can't fully <laughs> promise that, but I did try. And I actually have three that I want to talk about, but I'll be really quick. <laughs> I I might have to talk about three as well. So I think okay. that's fine. <laughs> What's your first one, Sarah? Okay, my first one, because I just wanted to bring one, you do this sometimes, and I was like, oh, I really want to do this, is a book that Anne would love. Yay, I love these. Yeah. So my first book, and it's the first book in a series, is The Lost Queen by Senia Pike. Have you read this series? Not yet. It's on my shelf, and I know that I would really like it. It's fun, and it's kind of billed as fantasy, but it's really not. It's, It's historical fiction. And it's set in 6th century Scotland. The main character of the first book is a woman named Langorith. And I'm probably going to butcher these ancient Scottish names, so I apologize. Um, And she is a historical figure. She was the sister of the man who went on to inspire the legend of Merlin. And it follows her and some of her sort of mystical gifts, but but how, because she's a woman, even though she has these mystical gifts, she's expected to marry for political advantage, whereas her brother can kind of nurture those, those gifts and become, become who he ends up becoming. Um, there is an epic love story, like the kind that Anne would totally love, where it's this sort of forbidden love. In the, these two people like feel an instant soul connection. Um, there's something spiritual about their about their love. The story is epic. It's based on um, all of the Camelot stories, all of the King Arthur stories, but the Scottish versions of those stories. So the, to me, they feel even more like magical and mystical. Um, and the world building is wonderful. It's just this beautiful, wild setting. And there's a, there's a tension at this time between the spread of Christianity in Scotland and these older beliefs, um, that Langorith's mother really imparted to them. I think Anne would love that. (laughs) Um, so I, I just, I really enjoyed this one. I actually haven't continued on in series. I would like to, I know that the next book follows her brother a little bit more than it follows Langorith. Um, so yeah, but I think, I think Anne would love, 
the last queen, she'd definitely want to act it out and get herself into lots of trouble. (laughs) All right. I have an actual retelling or reimagining to share. And there are a bunch of Anne of Green Gables retellings out right now. Maybe we'll pop a few in the um, newsletter, but I haven't read a ton of them, mostly because I'm like, I just really like Anne. If I'm going to read an Anne story, I'm just going to reread Anne of Green Gables. But Heather Fawcett, who wrote Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies, which I've recommended on the podcast before, has a uh, fantasy witchy retelling of Anne of Green Gables out. And I'm about halfway through. It's lovely. It's delightful. So it's about this little witch, Grace, and she ran away from an orphanage because she is really good at magic. Um, But nobody else believes her and nobody wants to adopt her. And so she runs away and she goes into the woods where she knows there is a witch. And there's, it's such like a fairy tale mashup because within the first couple of chapters, she ends up in this witch's oven and she has to like trick her way out of it. What she does is she strikes this deal with the witch that she can stay with her and she can become the witch's apprentice if she learns all 100 and a half spells in the witch's grimoire. Then she can be the apprentice. And this witch is like cranky and um, doesn't want Grace around, but they end up bonding as the book goes on. And then there is um, a monster that comes and threatens them and they have to work together to fight it. So it's inspired by Anne of Green Gables, but also is its own kind of twist on a fairy tale. And it's really, really lovely. So um, I think that it probably qualifies as middle grade, if not YA. So if you're in the mood for something Anne adjacent, but magical, If you liked um, The Girl Who Drank the Moon by Kelly Barnhill, those are the vibes that I'm getting from this one. It is The Grace of Wild Things by Heather Fawcett. That sounds good. I still really want to read Emily Wilde. And I had that thought as like, this is probably another book that Anne would really enjoy reading. (laughs) Yeah. My next book is Fight Night by Miriam Taves, which was one of my favorite books that I read last year. It is so good. It is, it's an adult novel, but it is told from the perspective of a girl named Swiv. She's nine years old and she lives in Canada. I think it takes place in, um, in Toronto. So Canadian literature for our, for our Anne episode. And, um, Swiv's voice is just hysterical. She is so funny. She's different than Anne, but she has, an epic imagination and she's just, she's just so, so funny and witty. Um, and the book it's, it's short and it's really about Swift's relationship with her grandma and her Swift's mom is pregnant and her dad is out of the picture at, at this point. And Swift, it kind of has been acting out at school because so much is going on and she gets expelled. And so her grandma, who is also hysterical, takes on the role of teaching her. And so she kind of starts homeschooling Swiv and they give each, they give each other these like funny assignments. And um, 
grandma really wants Swift to learn more about her, her family and um and Swiv wants gives grandma the assignment of um of writing letters to Gord, who is that's what they that's what they call um Swiv's new sibling to be. And so we get kind of grandma's voice and what she's trying to impart to Gord, but really she's imparting to Swiv. Um, and we just get their kind of their learning together, their butting heads back and forth. Um, they end up going on kind of a little mini adventure, the two of them together. And this book is sad, but it is also definitely a warm hug of a book. It's a hard one to describe because it's a book that you read for the voice more so than the plot, more so than the themes. It's just Swift's voice is is something you will never forget. The audio is fantastic. And I think it's it's narrated by Miriam Taves's daughter, I believe, daughter or niece. And it's so well done. Um, it's just, it's excellent. I think a lot of our listeners would really, really like this one. And, and I do think that it very much feels like an adult version of Anne that's about um, kind of unconditional love, being there for your community. It's about hard things, but handled in a in not a gentle but a but a warm, tender way. And it's one of those heartbreaking, heartwarming stories at the end. So that's Fight Night by Miriam Taves. Lovely. All right, I have a small town series recommendation. This is a romance series, and I just have to say, I would never pick up this series based on the covers alone, but (laughs) they came highly recommended from romance readers that I trust, and they're just lovely. Definitely warm hug books, but they're just super well-written, and so they, they feature this small town as the backdrop. The series is Blue Cedar Falls. There are three of them. Jeannie Chin is the author. I think that the third, the most recent installment sounds very Anne-like to me, um, but I just like the, the series as a whole is delightful, will give you all of the like small town Avonlea vibes. Okay. I had to look up the covers and I see what you're saying. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But I they also look a little Anish. So yeah, they yeah. totally do. <laughs> like they're sweet. They're cute. But like sweet and cute isn't usually like my like, oh, I'm going to go pick up that that romance. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. But charming small town romance. Okay. So we have Elizabeth Wu And she dreams of being an artist, but she's kind of put that on the back burner to help with her family's in and teach painting. Sounds very Anne-like already. Um, And she wants to have a big uh, arts festival, but she's trying to get the town council behind. And she's also relying on her best friend, Graham. But he's been acting a little funny because he has always been secretly in love with her. And, um, he just thinks like, okay, Elizabeth, she's amazing. She's vivacious. She's vibrant. She's this brilliant artist and she's just never going to see me as anything but a friend. Um, but he is going to help her with this festival and then they share a kiss and, uh, that's going to change stuff. So this is very, if you are into Anne and Gilbert, 
this is this is the romance for you. So, um, and this is just like a great summer romance series. Very cute covers, but these characters are like actually dealing with hard things. Um, I think in the first one, there's an ex-soldier who comes to town. So we've got like some PTSD. Like there's there's hard stuff mixed in with the sweet small town stuff, which feels very Ellen Montgomery. So, okay, again, Blue Cedar Falls series, The House on Mulberry Street by Jeannie Chin. All right. Okay, my last selection is also kind of a series. Um, I really was thinking so much about the Lucy Barton books by Elizabeth Strout while I was reading Anne this time. I just think Lucy and Anne have so much in common, mostly just this idea of a character with a really hard childhood who kind of triumphs because of their imagination, their um, ambition, but also their willingness to still be vulnerable and seek love really feels, those two things really feel in line to me. Um, The Lucy Barton books are about a character named Lucy Barton. She is a, a writer. In the first book, My Name is Lucy Barton, she is in the hospital um, dealing with kind of a, a swift, swift onset of an illness. And her mother, who she's basically estranged from because her mother was abusive, both physically and um, emotionally, in Lucy's childhood, comes to be with her in the hospital. And it's not this like epic forgiveness story or anything like that. It's just kind of these two women sitting there with remembrances of their past. Um, and it's all told from what I remember in Lucy's voice, which is charming. She just really ha- seems to have an inner child still that re- is reminiscent to me of Anne. The next book in the series actually is not told from Lucy's perspective. It's a collection of short stories about the small town where Lucy grew up. And we learn more about Lucy's really difficult childhood. And then the next two go back into Lucy's perspective. And I actually think you could start, if you wanted to, with O. William and then read Lucy by the Sea. Um, The thing that really struck me this time reading and what made this connection is I was, I was really, we didn't talk about this, but I was really affected by Anne's imaginary friends that she talks about Mm. and how out of loneliness she created these two imaginary friends. And they were so real to her that when she left a place, she had to leave them. And one was her Mm -hmm. reflection in the mirror or in the, you know, in the glass. And, um, just, you know, that that use of imagination for survival and company. And Lucy has who she calls the kind mother in her head. And when she's having a really tough time, she she talks about how she goes to her mother, not her real mother, but the kind mother in her head. And she says, you know, mommy, I'm really struggling with this. And she responds in the way she wishes she had a mother to respond Oh, I'm like tearing up thinking about it. But just though that connection just really leapt out at me this time. And I feel like these two characters have so much in common. The Lucy Barton books are also 
warm, hard things happen. Um, but, and, and not everything ends well and, and charmingly, but it, it is very much what I would call what you would call Chelsea, (laughs) a warm book, um, and a warm series. So the Lucy Barton series by Elizabeth Strout. I was trying to think of sort of the line from Anne to what I pick up now as a reader, because I love thinking about like what were my favorite books as a kid and how do those kind of translate into my reading taste now. And that warmth for sure I was thinking about the sort of community aspect, characters who you really fall in love with, but they go through hard things. And so I was thinking about J. Ryan Stradall. I wondered if you were going to bring J. Ryan Stradall. Yeah. I almost wanted to pair Kitchens of the Great Midwest because I think that that main character kind of goes through an Anne-like journey where she loses some family and people have to kind of like come around and take care of her. But it isn't character centered enough on her, I think. Um, and J. Ryan Stradall, like he does write great characters, but really writes great communities and families. And so it's more of a vibe. It's more of the vibe of like, there's humor and there's warmth, but also these characters are going to go through really hard things and their resilience is absolutely part of what keeps you rooting for them. And so it's, it is more just the vibe. Um, I think that Ellen Montgomery herself as someone who was like very interested in the beauty of life and everything, but also really struggled with depression. I think she would kind of like that, um, that mixture. I think that's what she really brings to her work. So yeah, just his work in general, I think really meets that. I'm really glad you brought that because I was thinking the same thing about Eva in Kitchens of the Great Midwest and Anne, but I, I just didn't, yeah, it wasn't like the character wasn't built out in the same way that Anne was. So I was thinking like, I wonder if his other books would maybe pair better, but you're, I think for you who's read all three to tell us that the, the vibe of all, um, all of them goes with this is that's the perfect pairing. All right. Well, Sarah, if our listeners are listening the day that this comes out, then they can talk with us about Anne tomorrow in Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash novel pairings, sign up. If you miss our book club discussion, do not worry. We will have more coming up. We have tons of classes for you to access. We have bonus episodes. You'll want to go and listen to our bonus episode about Ellen Montgomery in particular. And we are going to be announcing some stuff for summer really soon, and you are not going to want to miss that. So um, join Classics Club at patreon.com slash novel pairings. We have annual subscriptions for a discounted price. And we would love for you to go over to our Substack newsletter. We have a great time writing those and sharing more behind the scenes stuff about each book that we talk about on the podcast. That is at novelpairings.substack.com. And of course, we are on Instagram. We love seeing your pictures of what you're reading along with us your DMs to tell us about a backlist episode that you listened to recently. So at Novel Pairings Pod on Instagram, that is where you can tag us and visit us and find all of the um, pretty classic literature things. If you're looking for other ways to support 
our show. You can share on your social media that you are are listening. Tag us at Novel Pairings Pod on Instagram. You can send a link to this or any episode to a bookish friend who you think might enjoy enjoy listening. Or of course, you can write a review on Apple Podcasts. That really makes a difference in helping new listeners find us. Thank you to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next time, we'll be back to discuss From the Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler by E.L. Konigsberg. Until then. then. <laughs> I don't know going to do it. Go ahead. <laughs> Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book. <laughs> <laughs>